sectional leader. And so she's here this morning to share with us. I wanted her last year. It didn't work. It wasn't God's time. Today, I believe it's God's time. Would you please put your hands together, Lord, and help me welcome Deborah Pahuda, please. Thank you. Brother, so good to be here. Amen. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> what a blessing. Oh, this church is wonderful and alive. I feel the presence of God here. It's the moment I walked in and uh, such a friendly and loving house uh, of the Lord. I appreciate uh, Pastors Goodluck and Angela. That's okay. And uh, so uh, my First Assembly of God in Rosenberg sends their hello uh, to you all today. And what a joy and an honor to uh, be a servant of the Lord. Amen. We all have our part to fill. And my heart just connects with, with you guys because I too believe that if God calls you to a church, he's called you here to put your gift into what he's, the vision that he's implanted in that church to reach that community uh, for him. And you guys are in a strategic area. As I drove through here, I, I was looking and, and noticing every, everything, uh, just new growth. Not just spring coming, but the future growth is what's going to happen here. And so you guys get ready, get ready, get ready. Uh, God's going, amen. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I put a title on this message this morning. It would be, Where's My Miracle? How many of you at that place today where you say, God, I need a miracle? Uh, John 6, uh, 1 and 2 tells us this, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and a great multitude was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Can we pray together today? Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I ask that the power of your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, open our ears and our hearts to receive all that you have for us today. God, we are your church. God, you are building a church, Lord, that will do great things, greater things than Jesus did because he went to the Father. And Father, give us that faith to believe, God, for miracles and signs and wonders in this day. Through us and in us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's church said, Amen. Everywhere Jesus went, he was faced with a great need among the people he ministered to. And as we look across our city, even in our families today, we can see that after 2,000 years, not much has changed, has it? We wouldn't have to go very far outside these walls. In fact, if we took time, we could probably each of us share and spend many days here uh, uh, talking about the needs that each of us have in our homes and in our lives, in our workplaces, the people that we see around us. We see that there is a desperate uh, need for Jesus uh, to be who he is in our community, in our world today. Yet I ask myself, I ask you today, how much are we willing to trust him and how much are we really willing to give? How much are we willing to give? I remember uh, the day in August 2010. I know many of you, as I relay these incidents to you, you'll, you'll have your memories refreshed as well. It happened in Chile. 33 miners got up that day, normal day, just like any other day, and, and went to, into the mine. They were 24, 2,500 feet 
uh, below ground. I'm very claustrophobic, so I, I know it would take a miracle to get me down there. Uh, they were miles from the entrance, and the, 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 the mine collapsed. Do you remember that? It happened in Chile, 33 miners. Uh, everyone thought that they were dead, that there was no hope. Well, 69 days later, it took an act of over a 24 hours period. They raised all 33 of those men to the surface. None of them um, uh, uh, died. They all survived. And I'm sure when those men set out from their homes in Chile uh, that morning in August, that they weren't expecting the turn of events that were about to happen. But before that day was over, they were in need of a great miracle. Do you agree with me today? And sometimes it's easier for us to trust for someone else when we're stuck in a pit uh, below ground in our lives than it is uh, to, to believe for ourselves. I can believe for your miracle. You can maybe believe for my miracle. But it's hard for us to believe for our own miracle. And so we need to believe, Jesus, uh, for ourselves to believe for the impossible to happen so that the world can see his glory manifested in our lives. And once you and I allow him to do that, then our miracle causes the world to know who he is. When we can grasp hold of that and believe that God loves you and he wants to do something powerful in your life, it may not be exactly what you're picturing it should look like, but when we trust him to make it look like what he wants it to look like, the world sees not us working, but they see him working in us. And I desire that my prayer, our prayer today, would be just as those uh, disciples in the book of Acts prayed in Acts 4, uh, 29 through 30. And I'm reading in the message because I loved how it just kind of gets through the nitty gritty. It says, give your servants fearless confidence in preaching your message as you stretch out your hand to us in healings and miracles and wonders done in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You look around today of the movies and the TV shows. Uh, I don't get to watch that much TV today. But the, the movies are, are, are just packed with the supernatural. There's a hunger for people. We see the Noah movie uh, that came out. I haven't seen it, and I've heard it's not very biblical. Somebody's saying, don't go see it. But one article that I read said that it shows that this is a blockbuster, that the world is hungry to know about God. It may not be the biblical God as we know it, but at least uh, it, it's, we can see through their uh, thermometer of going to see it that it's building a, a, a hunger, a thirst to know God. And, and we, the church, need to be ready to show him for who he is. Not what Hollywood shows him to be, but the truth of who he is. And the only way we can do that is allow him to work more fully in and through our lives. And I desire for miracles to happen. I believe we sang the song about revival. I see a revival. I see a generation coming to him. But guys, ladies, it starts with us. It starts when we grasp the fact that he can do a work in you. Today, it can start. And what you and I should want, what we should desire more than anything else, is to see our world changed for his glory. 
And how God does that, how he does that is through situations in our lives that that we have to turn over to him so that then the miracles can come forth that turn tragedies into triumphs. We're always waiting for someone else to do it. We're, we're waiting for someone else to uh, be the spark. You may say, well, when he does it or when she does it, then I'll follow them. But God may be saying, no, I want you to be the one that steps out. I want you to be the one that trusts me because there's something in your life that I want to use that other people will see my glory. How do I prepare my heart? How can you prepare your heart so that we're not dwelling on the problems or the potential solutions that may be man-made? But how can I know for certain that God is at work preparing to change the situation that we're in today? First principle I want to tell you today is that he shows you the need before he reveals the answer. He will show you the need before he reveals the answer. John chapter 6 verse 3. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, and Jesus was therefore lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him. And he said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And this he was saying to test him, but he, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Now, I believe Jesus had a sense of humor. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that when, when the boat was sinking in the middle of that lake with that storm and they were bailing out the storm and Jesus was asleep, I don't think he was asleep. I think he was laying in the back of that boat with one eye kind of propped open seeing how long it would take them to realize who was in the boat with them. Just like in this, in this incident that we're studying today, that I believe, we, I know Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do, but the word tells us he was testing them to see who they were going to believe, their own minds or what Jesus could do. There will always be food in the house if we're getting our supply from the master. There will always be food in your house, not necessarily physical food I'm talking about, spiritual food, emotional food, the strength that you need, the power you need, the resources you need, if you're getting your supply from your master. He wants to see what you're going to do when you realize the job is too big for you. What are you going to do? Are you going to give up? Are you going to go straight to the drawing board, roll up your sleeves and say, I've been through this before, I can do it again, I'm just going to take matters into my own hands? Are you going to wait for someone else to take the first step? He's waiting to see what you and I are going to do in the situations we're facing today. God-sized problems call for God-sized solutions. Philip was Mr. Practical. We all have those uh, men or women on our team around us. My husband is Mr. Practical. I'm the dreamer. I'm the one that, that has all these, you know, ideas or visions of, of what, what God wants us to do. And my husband's the one going, well, how is that going to work? Well, who's going to do this? And I'm like, don't, don't bother me with the details. <laughs> That's Mr. Philip. He was the practical one. And Jesus knew all along what he intended to do. He was just waiting for his disciples to determine what direction uh, they were going to go. And so God's going to show them the need. He shows Philip the need. He shows his disciples the need. All this great multitude. What are they going to eat? Principle two. He then issues an invitation to us to join him in the miracle he's about to perform. Think of it that way. 
when he shows you the need, when you have a need in your life, he, the Holy Spirit is showing you that need. And he's, he's offering you an invitation. He's saying to you today, join me and see what I'm going to do in this situation. Don't take it into your own hands. Trust me. I know. I know what you're going through. I, you're, I, you can't surprise God. He knows exactly, and he's saying, let me allow you to join me in what I'm about to do in your life. Verse 7, and then we're going to look at verse 10. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to even receive a little. And Jesus said, go to town and get some food. No. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Have them sit down. And now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Now that's just the men. Uh, Some writers say, uh, theologians say, that it could have been as many as 15 to 20,000 folks. Rosenberg is about 28, 29,000 right now, so almost the size of of the town in which uh, my husband and I live. It's what Jesus was facing because they counted the men, not the children, not the women. And and I can imagine, as you might could, uh, the disciples uh, thinking, the the look on their faces. Uh, I'm a drama uh, major, and so uh, when I look at stories in the Bible, when I look at at things such as this and miracles, I'm looking at it from all the angles. I try to get in the people's shoes. I try to get into their heads and think, what were they thinking? You see, the problem with us is we know the end of the story, but they didn't. They were right there in the midst of it, and here are all these hungry people. And Jesus tells them to sit down, and, and I'm sure they were going, We're going to have a mob on our hands in just a few hours. But no, Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. The disciples never for a moment looked beyond their own resources. They were saying that what they had wasn't sufficient for the need. And there's no insight given. We don't know what the disciples expected Jesus to do now that the people were seated. We know what he did, but but there's no indication that the disciples uh, expected anything. They were probably pondering or, or just wondering what is going to happen here. And, and when, what they saw before them were thousands upon thousands of people arranged to eat and only a handful of food, as we're going to see in a moment. But what I want you to see in this is they obeyed Jesus. They obeyed him in spite of what it looked like, in spite of the overwhelming odds, uh, 13 folks and whatever crowd was uh, with uh, Jesus in addition to the disciples and 15 to 20,000 folks, uh, the odds were against them. They obeyed Jesus. Thankfully, that was one time they did. You see, timing's important. Pastor Goodluck and I were talking today. We've been trying to arrange this, and he said God's timing is important, and timing is everything with God. And we have to realize that. We have to wait on him, and we're impatient folks most of the time. Will you agree with me? Well, we want it now. We're used to instant food. We drive through the drive-thru, and, and boy, if they don't get our meal right, and, and you know, it tastes usually the same every time. Sometimes it's a little off. 
But boy, when you have a home-cooked meal, when, when you come home and there's a roast in the oven and there's a four-layer chocolate cake that's been made from scratch and all that good stuff, the potatoes and all, the, I'm making you hungry, I know. <laughs> but that takes a while to make. And folks, we're not used to that anymore, unfortunately. That's the exception rather than the rule. And we do that in our lives, too. We want it now. We want it yesterday. And waiting on God, sometimes we're too impatient. We're very, and we'll take matters into our own hand. And God says, wait for my timing. God does things in an orderly fashion. And, and I, I, you know, I dread saying this, because I'm, but I know it's true, that he always starts with the leadership in the house. Many times he'll start with me, and I know with Pastor Goodluck and Sister Angela, you know, he'll start there and start working things out uh, in them. And, and before you know it, it's, it's, it's happening in the church, but they're ahead of you because they've been through it. Don't think they don't know what it feels like to, to, to suffer or to go through things. They know. They, they've lived through it. And then, with the, then he goes to the leadership, the staff, the, the, volu- the, the volunteer workers, the leaders in the ministries. Uh, we'll be going through the, the growing pains of, of building the church and building the body. You see, God starts with the leadership. He's got to get you on the same page and, and behind your pastor and, and working and, and working the vision. And then he brings the people in, the new believers, the new uh, people that are coming in so that you can mentor them, so that you can pour in. You see, God works in order. If he were to bring all of a sudden a thousand new believers uh, into this place, would you be ready to and equipped to take in that many people? Probably not. You'd try real hard, I know, but, but see, God's working in order. He's getting it ready, so eventually you will be able to take in an onslaught. And I believe in these last days, we're going to see revival of that nature. We're going to see that kind of thing happen. But we've got to get in God's timing, in God's place, and ready and expecting Him to work in us so that He can do greater things through us. Timing is important. He's not going to compete with a rebellious spirit or an unbelieving spirit. He'll move on. And that's one of my greatest prayers. God, don't pass us by. Don't pass us by. I don't want to play church. I want to be the church that God created us to be. And we're going to see great things. I believe it with all my heart. In Mark chapter 6, 10 and 11, uh, Mark wrote that Jesus said, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off of your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. My heart grieves when I think of, of, of churches that are, are in operation today that, that won't allow the Holy Spirit to operate. They've got their agendas out. They've got, and it's good to have an agenda. It's good to have that, that time. You need to be uh, orderly, not chaos or haphazard. I, I like that, that sense of excellency. But you see, there's a difference between uh, that excellency and then keeping it so closed off that if the Holy Spirit wants to come in here and do something different, that you allow him to. And I don't believe that he's going to just push his way in either. We have to be sensitive. And I'm thankful you have a, a pastor and family, a staff that is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit wants to do something new, praise the Lord. <laughs> 
That's why we're here. We're here to worship Him. We're not here to, to entertain. We're not here to be, to, we are here to be fed, but just to, to continually to be fed. As Pastor Goodluck said, we're workers. We're workers for the kingdom, and we're here to be rejuvenated. We're here to, to experience the corporate nature of the church, but then we're to be strengthened and then go out from here and minister to others and bring them to Jesus. See, Jesus could have performed this miracle without any assistance. He didn't need the disciples to do this, but he invited them to join him. He invited, as we're going to see in a moment, the little boy to join him. He invited not only the leadership to be a part, but also the people that day were a part of this miracle. In verse 8 and 9, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, "Uh, Jesus, there's a lad over here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but oh, what are these amongst so many people? (laughs) You see, Andrew, I love him. He was always bringing people to Jesus. He brought Peter to Jesus. He brought the Greeks to Jesus. They came to Philip, and then Philip told Andrew. I think Andrew was the one. Have you ever had somebody in your family or a friend, you, you thought, oh, they'll do it. Remember the old commercial, Mikey will eat it. He'll eat anything. I believe P, uh, Andrew was like that. Now, all the other disciples, this little boy came, tugged him maybe on Peter's tunic, and said, Peter, I have a little lunch here. And Peter just kind of went, oh, that's good, that's good. And then he goes to Philip, and he says, I've got a little lunch here. And Philip goes, hmm, well, take it to Andrew. Andrew will go to Jesus with that. So sure enough, Andrew brings the little boy and says, Jesus, isn't this cute? (laughs) This little boy has some bread and fish. Isn't that cute that he wants to bring an offer to the people? (laughs) Wow. That's what Jesus was waiting for that day. I want us to look first at Andrew's actions. Because you see, I believe we need a birthing in our hearts like Andrew, who had the courage to bring this meager meal to Jesus with expectancy. We need men and women of faith today that will believe for what the world would think is utterly ridiculous. What's ridiculous to the world? Salvation to those who many people in the world think are unreachable. The Muslims. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Buddhists, the, uh, the, the other religions of this world, they think are unreachable. But God wants us to believe for them, to believe that, that they are reachable, that they have a hunger, that they have a need, as much more so than us. We need to believe for the impossible, many people say in the world. It's impossible to be delivered from drugs. It's impossible to be delivered from homosexuality or from depression. Just take these pills. Not that medicine is bad. I'm not saying that because sometimes we need that. But that's not going to cure your depression. And we need to believe for the healings that God wants to do. In 1999, I was healed from chronic active hepatitis C. I'd gone through about eight or nine years of of chemotherapy, and every time that they'd stop the therapy, the virus would break it back out again. And and I I was not uh, doing well. I had cirrhosis of the liver, and and things were, were progressing as they normally do. I was at a prayer meeting before service on a Sunday night. We weren't even praying for for a healing at that time, I was walking with other people in the church praying for our service that was going to happen that evening. 
And all of a sudden, as I was praying for the service, I felt the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I hit the ground, and in an instant, I knew what it was. And I went to my pastor's wife, and I just whispered in her ear. I said, Evelyn, I think God just healed me of my hepatitis C. I want to tell you, amen, he did. And I, I amen. I brought it to the church because uh, I, I hesitated being a leader. You know, I didn't want to just automatically uh, say it out because I, I thought, well, if, if it weren't true, that, that I wouldn't want people saying, well, Pastor Deb said God healed her. Well, what, you know, I didn't want to put that doubt. So I went back to the doctor for a few years. I told a few close friends. And then I, I had the, the marker. And my doctor, he's uh, Nigerian. He said his, his uh, mother is an Assembly of God uh, member in Nigeria. Dr. Anna Komase in downtown, the liver center. He said, this is a miracle. And I said, I know it, Dr. Anna Komase. I know that it's a miracle. And I want to tell you, we can believe for those kinds of miracles. Does God heal all the time? No, I don't have the answer for that. But I do know this, that while I walked through that illness, God taught me things about myself that I don't think I could have learned in any other way. And I tell people today that, that God can heal. He does heal. He will heal work miracles today. But I also know the greater healing he, had, he does is when he brings a soul to know him. When salvation happens in a life, that's a healing. And this body's going to die. Lazarus is gone. He's not still living. The only person that's ever lived eternally is Jesus Christ rose from the grave. But all the miracles that we see in the, in the New Testament, they died. But I want to tell you, they're living if they knew him. And that's the greatest healing we can ever have. And that work he wants to work inside me, inside you, is greater than anything that can happen to us physically healing. Amen? I'm not saying he doesn't, but I'm just saying there's a greater healing that he wants to do in our lives. And we need to believe for that. We need to believe for the impossible. Now, let's look at the little boy's lunch. Think about this. The little boy gave up his lunch. What could five loaves and two little fish, maybe the size of sardines, do for all these people? He could have used the excuse about his own meal. This is my lunch. My mama fixed this special. She made my fish just the way I like it. She put that bread on there and, and had it just sitting. She made it for me today. And it just so happens to be my favorite. Others should have brought their own. Nobody would do it for me. You hear some of these same kind of mindsets that we have today? He gave what he had. He doesn't expect you to be able to do everything, but he asks you to do uh, physically, spiritually, ability-wise, only what you can do. That's all he asks. You may, the devil makes you feel like it's little, but God can take your little and make it much. And that leaves room for him to work in you. All you have to do is to be willing to give away. That's the key. Give away the very thing you're holding on to so tightly. And can I tell you today, probably what he does ask you to give away will be the thing that's hardest for you to give. That'll be the hardest for you to give. Young lad, I believe, represents people who recognize what God can do through a yielded life. 
no matter the age, the infirmity, the financial status, the education, the personal capabilities, that boy, his willingness to give shows us that God can use anybody. He can use anything. He gave what he had, and he gave all that he had. I want to put this question out to you today. How many other people do you think had lunches but were unwilling to give? I believe if he had food, other people in that crowd had food. How many churches today are not willing to get outside their comfort zones and reach out to the community around them? And once that invitation was accepted by the disciples and the leaders of of that, that group, I believe the people and their obedience to his direction, Jesus had everything he needed to work the miracle that day. The leadership was willing to believe beyond what they knew they could provide in the natural. They didn't have money. They didn't have resources. They didn't have any way to meet the needs that these people had. And then the catalyst of that miracle, listen to this, the catalyst of that miracle was it only took one person, one person willing to give up what little they had to offer to be used by the master. That's all it took. One person. So he shows you the need before he shows you the answer. He shows you, when he shows you that need, it's his invitation for you to join him. And thirdly, he issues the invitation to us to join him in the miracle that he's about to perform. And when we join him in what he wants to do through us, he's going to perform a miracle that meets both the needs and returns a multitude of multitude of returns on us. You've heard the, the saying, you can never outgive God. It's the truth. It's the truth. Look at verse 11. Jesus therefore took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. I love one translation. It says, and he, Jesus, kept giving. He kept giving. That's the awesome thing about this event to me is that if you look at Mark's account of the feeding of the 5,000, it happens right on the heels of Jesus and the disciples hearing the news that John the Baptist had just been beheaded by King Herod. If you look at Mark 6, 29, and when John's disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body, laid it in a tomb, and the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said, come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they, underline this, they didn't even have time to eat. You see, the disciples were in a place of discouragement. I believe Jesus was in a, 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 I'm I'm sure his heart was grieving over losing John the Baptist. He was gone. So here they are, Jesus, his band of followers, they're tired, they're distraught, they're hungry. They had initially found, set out to find a place to rest. Folks, we're going to need rest sometimes, and rest is a good thing. We're going to be discouraged sometimes, and discouragement happens in our lives. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulations, but can I also tell you that that's a seedbed for the miraculous? When you get to that point in your life, don't give up. 
Don't throw your hands up and just say, God, I know you're getting ready to do something because I'm not giving up and I know I'm in this place and only you, God, are going to be able to get me to point A to point B. And that's where the disciples were that day. The needs of the people don't rest. They don't rest, do they, Pastor Goodluck? The needs of the people keep coming. They keep happening. And if you don't have that resource, if you don't have that, that resource to hold on to, which is Jesus Christ, in your life, you're going to burn up and burn out. If you're waiting for circumstances to change in your life to slow down before you get involved, if you're waiting for things to just get right and things to get back to normal, things will never get back to normal, folks. And you'll say, God, when this happens or after this is over, then I'll be able to serve you. God's saying, what about now? Why not let me work through your life now so people can see it's me doing the work and not you? You see, it's in those times when we feel like we can't give anymore or what we have to give amounts to maybe not even as much as five barley loaves and two fish. It's at those times when we place ourselves in a supernatural arena where we will see miracles happen. All it takes is one person ready and willing to give what they have in order to see and experience God's miracle-working power in our midst today. There aren't any limits for you. We set our own limits, but God has set no limits for you. He set no limits for this church, for what you can do together. There are no limits to the number of lives that you can touch. You're here today, we're here today with a meager meal to give. We have just what we have in our lunchbox, our life, to give today. And we, we look at what Jesus wants to do, and sometimes we can be overwhelmed when we look at 300,000, Pastor Goodluck said, in the Cyprus area. It can be overwhelming. But I want to tell you this. Everything you need for a miracle to happen is in this room right here. It's right here today. Yes, yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. That we can, it can get from our head to our hearts and we can believe it. There was a saying when I, I was in the AD players, and one of the lines was, uh, a, a naysayer said, I'll believe it when I see it. And Hosea, which the, the play was about him, he says, no, you'll see it when you believe it. And that's where we're at today. We'll see it when we believe it. Who will be the first person to bring his or her lunch to place in the master's hands? That's the question I leave us with today. Who will be the first to be willing to say, Jesus, I'm bringing what I have. It doesn't look like much. You can look around here today and you can see other people and they've got their masks on. They look like they, everything's great. And you think, God, they've got it all together. But God, you know me. This is all I've got. That's all he's looking for today. Because I can promise you, every one of us in here is dealing with something. We're either dealing with it, we just got through dealing with it, or we're getting ready to deal with it. <laughs> we're all together. And he wants you to believe him. Bring your lunch. 
That's your life to him today. You may have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart. You may have felt, but God, you don't know what's in this bunch. (laughs) You don't want this, Jesus. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Because I can tell you that whatever you're going through, he can use that if you give it to him for his glory. There are lives you can touch when you get to know him, that he can use you to touch lives that no one else can. Will everyone stand today? I want to use this as a time of commitment or recommitment. This is just burning in my heart uh, for, for the church today that we would bring all that we are, all that we have, all that we can see and do for him and say, God, use it today. No matter how much you think it is or how little you think it is, bring it to him and see if he won't open the windows of heaven and do a miracle in your life. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart today, bring your life to him and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. This is all that I have, but I'm bringing it to you. Live in me. Take over my life. Do a miracle in my life. And he will. If you're willing to say, whether it's a first-time gift to the Lord of your life or whether you've walked with him uh, a short time or a long time, but you're willing to say, Jesus, I'm bringing you my lunch today. I'm bringing you what I have, and I'm committing with this church to see miracles happen, to touch in this women's conference in Calvert. And wherever we go, God, and wherever you send us, God, I'm taking my lunch and I'm bringing it to you, and I'm saying, God, count me in. Use my life for a miracle. Will you come today? Bring your lunch to him. Father God, Lord, I pray. Lord, I know you're moving in hearts and lives today. God, we may feel like we don't have much to give, but God, we're placing it in your hands. And I'm asking God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that Father, you will work miracles. Lord, that you will open blinded eyes. That you will cause men and women to just sense the lavishness of your love being poured out upon them. Give them refreshing. Reinvigorate them, Lord God with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, let miracles happen in this place today that we may go forth and see your kingdom come, your will be done in Cypress, Texas, in Calvary, in Houston, Texas, as it is in heaven. Will you come today? Come. Come as a sign of giving and bringing to him today. And we're going to pray with you and believe with you that God's going to begin something new in your life. A new, refreshing for you. Healing time. The miracle that you need is right on the doorstep. Just bring it to him and say, God, here, here it is. Take it, God. Use it for your glory. Come. anybody else just come just come you're hungry for him you're saying god i want to believe for more in my life 
I want to, I know, God, you can, can do it in other people, but I want you to do it in me. God, I want to be, Lord, used by you. I say, come today, come. See if God won't open the windows of heaven and give you the heart's desire to see his glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Will altar workers come? Thank you, God. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.